Welcome to Dirty Little Podcast, short story romance for mature audiences only. On this week's episode, Love at First Sight strikes hard as Officer Joni Silva and best-selling author Sam Riggs are thrust together after a crash on Accident Street. But a deadly stalker threatens to keep them from fully colliding. It Happened on Accident, written by Stacy Gold and narrated by Joshua McCray. Great, she thought. Another fender bender on Accident Street. What are the odds? Officer Silva radioed dispatch and told them she was on the way. She put the patrol car in drive and made her way across town, hitting all the red lights. She could have turned on the siren and blew through the intersections with impunity, but that would have to go on a report somewhere, and she wasn't in a hurry. Besides, the whole trip was only seven minutes. She pulled up to the scene, expecting to find a couple of bumpers with scratched paint, but instead, there was a small commuter car with the entire passenger side crushed in. Whatever hit it had been big, and there was no other sign of another car. Thankfully, the EMT had arrived before her, and it looked like the driver was okay, sitting on the bumper of the ambulance, holding a bandage to his forehead. Officer Silva radioed dispatch to order a tow truck, then got out of the car to check on the driver. What's the status, Charlie? She said to the EMT, who was checking the driver's pulse. All signs are good. There's a little gash on his forehead, but pressure should close it up. This guy was really lucky. It happened on accident, she asked. By accident, the driver said. The correct usage is by accident, not on accident. And no, it wasn't an accident. Well, Charlie, it looks like we've got a member of the grammar police. Can I see your badge, sir? The driver laughed. I'm sorry, officer. My editors got me on high alert. I could spot a dangling modifier from 5,000 feet. What's your name, sir? Sam. Sam Riggs. The name sounded familiar to her. It only took a second to remember why. Samuel Riggs. Flesh and blood, but only my mom calls me Samuel. I've read your books. I like them very much. Thank you. And I'm sorry about the grammar comment. It's a common mistake, I assume. But just so you know, the Cliffside Police Department frowns upon playing fast and loose with the rules of English. So the street you are hit on is called Accident Street. I was, in fact, correct in my usage. You're kidding me. No. He used to be named after the rich guy who lived up the hill, but because of the curve around that bend over there, accidents happen constantly. The locals had the name changed to increase awareness, get people to slow down and be more cautious. I'm still called out here at least three times a week. Now, that's the kind of detail you can't make up. I gotta write that down. He dropped the bandage and reached into his coat pocket for what Officer Silva assumed was a notepad, but blood started to pour out of the small cut on his forehead. He looked down and saw it pooling in his lap. When he looked back up, his face was ashen, and Officer Silva reached out to him before he fainted. Oh, he said, and collapsed in her arms. Charlie, quick. She held on to him until the EMT could reapply pressure to the guy's wound. Together, they gently laid him down on the ground. Officer Silva took over bandage duties, while Charlie readied the gurney. They wrapped a bandage more securely around the wound and lifted the man up and into the ambulance. He's heavier than he looks, the EMT noted. There's a lot of muscle under that sport coat. Officer Silva, did you cop a feel? I did not. I couldn't help it. The EMT laughed and rolled his eyes. All right, I'll get this guy over to Mercy for a stitch or two. You can finish your interrogation there. Actually, Charlie... Go to St. Jude's. There was a salmonella outbreak, and Mercy is filled with puking tourists. Copy that, Officer Silva. Copy that. And stay away from chicken sandwiches for at least a week. <laughs> Shall do. There was a moan from inside the ambulance. 
Officer Silva got into the back of it to check on the man. A little color had returned to his face. Hey, he said. Hello, Mr. Riggs. Am I okay? You'll be fine. Head wounds always bleed like crazy, but you probably don't even need stitches. However, Charlie here is going to take you over to St. Jude's. They'll clean you up and check to make sure you don't have a concussion. Try to stay awake, and I'll meet you there in a little while. My bag. Don't worry, I'll bring you things. Thanks, officer. You're very welcome, Samuel. She jumped down from the ambulance after making sure the man was secure in the gurney. She closed the doors and thumped twice to signal Charlie that he was good to go. The ambulance drove off, and Officer Silva took out her notepad and began surveying the scene. Charlie had been right. The guy had been very lucky to walk away from this crash with a little more than a scratch. The tiny commuter car had collapsed like a tissue paper box. The impact was high, too. Looked like a big truck had hit it. The odd part was that there were no skid marks. Whatever happened happened so fast, neither of the two vehicles had time to slam on their brakes. Hit and runs were pretty common, but not usually for an accident this big. Probably some freaked out teen, she thought. But then she remembered that Samuel Riggs had said it wasn't an accident. Somehow that had gotten lost in the grammar discussion. She made a note to check on that first. The tow truck arrived, and she inspected the vehicle more thoroughly. There wasn't a bag in the front or back seats, so she had the mechanic prop open the trunk with a crowbar. She expected an attaché case or some fancy luggage, but instead was a huge weather-beaten duffel bag, and it was extremely heavy. Books, she thought, as she carried the sack to her patrol car. Samuel Riggs wasn't just a famous author. He was her favorite author. His debut novel had been loaned to her by the boyfriend of her college roommate, and she'd been a huge fan ever since. His work was quirky and sexy, books that made her laugh and cry, characters she fell madly in love with. She read them over and over again, sometimes in weekend-long marathons the way others might binge Marvel movies. His writing was her version of Netflix and chill, and she had a front-row ticket to a lecture he was giving in three days a reading from his newest novel, which hadn't been released yet. Probably the very things weighing down that ginormous duffel bag. But she was a professional and wouldn't look without permission. What are the odds, she asked herself, as she began snapping pictures around the scene. Samuel Riggs, right here, falling into her arms. Though she had spent many a rainy night dreaming about his stories and characters, she had never thought much about the man himself. She assumed all writers were quiet homebodies typing away in the dead of night. Nothing romantic about that. He was much more attractive in person than he was on the cover of his dust jackets, even for a man feigning at the sight of his own blood. She wondered what it would be like to get to know him. Would they have anything in common beyond his books? What would it be like to feel that hefty chest of his when she wasn't in uniform? His body pinning her to a bed, her legs wrapped around him, his hand gripping her ass, his cock thrusting into her. Hey, Silva, y'all done? The mechanic asked, breaking her from her reverie. Yeah, take her away. Officer Silva went back to her patrol car and gave the duffel bag a second glance. She could totally just take a peek and he would never know. But again, she decided against it. However, she would definitely ask him about it once they were better acquainted. The trip to St. Jude's was only about 15 minutes, and she hit every single red light. Dispatch was quiet, and she had NPR playing in the background, but she wasn't paying any attention. Instead, she was rehearsing in her head what she would say to Samuel Riggs that didn't come across as a star-struck fangirl. She realized something was off. There was a scent around her that was making her head swim. Maybe a bit of his cologne had rubbed into her uniform, or his own natural musk had seeped into the skin of her fingers. It was musty and deep, but fresh and invigorating.
He smelled like an old book on a rainy day. Her pulse raced a bit as she stood outside his hospital room. She took a deep breath and walked in. He was standing by a window, dressed in a thin, nearly transparent hospital gown. She could see the curve of his ass and the swell of his manhood as he turned to greet her. If she didn't get her shit together, she was going to faint herself. Hey, officer. It's Joni. What is? My name, it's Joni. You want me to call you Officer Joni? Oh my God, yes. Call me Officer Joni. I want to hear you scream it until you're out of breath, she thought. No, wait. I'm sorry, you can call me Officer Silva. Okay. Sorry, I'm just a little bit flustered. You and me both, Officer Silva. She put on her best professional face, though she still felt her cheeks flush, her lady bits tingle. On the inside, she was screaming. There was the Joni part of her that wanted to rip his gown off and see just how high she could climb him. And then there was Officer Silva, who had a job to do. I'd uh, like to ask you a few questions about the incident, if I may. Of course. She pulled a chair up to the hospital bed and opened her notepad. You said it wasn't an accident. I don't think it was. Write this down. Stacy Betha, B-E-T-H-A, about 5'4". I'm a bad judge at weight, but probably about 140 pounds. Red hair, green eyes, round face. 32, 33 years old. That's who rammed into you. I'm not positive. It was so quick, I didn't see a thing, but that's the description of the woman who's been stalking me for the last six months. Officer Silva nodded and wrote down the information. It must be terrifying to have a stalker. But on the other hand, if he had the same effect on other women that he had had on her, she could kind of understand the obsession. That's horrible. I'm very sorry. Any detail you can remember? Okay, so I'd known her for a few weeks. She was a new hostess at a restaurant around the corner from my office. I tend to go there a lot because I forget to eat sometimes, and they have this neat little table in the kitchen that's set up in a way that you can dine by yourself but not feel like you're alone. Anyway, I had just sent a final chapter to my editor, and I saw her out on the street crying. I asked her if she was okay, and she told me she'd been fired for being late, and then went on and on about the subway, her sick mom, how she had gotten her heel caught on a grate. She even showed me her broken shoe. And you were nice to her. Yeah, I guess I didn't pick up any red flags, and I was feeling celebratory, so I offered to buy her a new pair and then take her out to dinner. Sounds innocent enough? It was. Turns out she was a big fan of my work. Is that weird? I mean, going out on a date with a fan. <laughs> nah, you need to have a quirky sense of humor to enjoy my stuff, so I just assume that anyone who digs my books is someone I can have a conversation with. I try not to be that pretentious, but when it comes to relationships, I figure there are only two things that can't be solved with time. You gotta make each other laugh, and you gotta find each other reasonably fuckable. And did you? Did I what? Did you make each other laugh? <laughs> you know, I honestly don't remember, but I was flattered, so after dinner I offered to show her my office, and then one thing led to another. You had sex with her? Yes. The Joni part of her winced a little. Did the relationship continue beyond that point? No. I was very clear from the beginning that I was going on tour, and that's a very bad time to start anything serious. She even said herself that her life was too hectic, but that she wouldn't say no to a little fling. I... I thought it was harmless. The Officer Silva part of her snapped into focus. Okay. But we're talking a young woman, down on her luck, and suddenly a famous rich guy swoops in, saves the day, and shows her a good time. Well, yeah, when you say it like that.
But I'm not a predator, Joni. I just thought I was having a good day. It was consensual. It was casual. And I drove her home and made sure she made it to the door safely. There wasn't even a goodnight kiss. Officer Silva realized he had just called her Joni. And she really liked the sound of that. In fact, it gave her a light shiver to think of him screaming it out in a moment of passion. Please continue, she said. Okay, well, the next few days I got a couple of texts. Thank you for last night. The shoes fit great. Off to a job interview. Then nothing. I go out on the winter tour and I don't even think about it. I get home and then go to my office and there are stacks upon stacks of Amazon deliveries at the door. I find out she had us registered as getting married. She had a website, a Pinterest page, a GoFundMe for our destination wedding. It was crazy. What did you do? I called my lawyer first and then the police. She had a history of fraud and identity theft and, well, her life story was very sad. I didn't press charges, but I did get a restraining order. I even went through some back channels to get her some help, but she never showed. And you think it was her who hit you? I can't explain it, but I've been having this feeling of being watched. I'll see a shock of red hair going around a corner, hear footsteps in time with my own, that sort of thing. And the crash, I didn't see anything. I just felt my body slammed up against the inside of the car, but... I do remember hearing the crunch as the other driver pulled away and the squeal of tires as it sped off. It felt like it was on purpose. Officer Silva chased bad guys for a living, but this time she could feel a white-hot hate as if the incident was personal. She made up her mind then and there to finish her notes and hand the investigation off to someone else. That way, what... Whatever seismic attraction she was feeling for this man wouldn't get in the way of justice being done. And, maybe, next time they saw each other, she would ask him to call her by her first name. A girl can dream. Okay, I think we've got enough for an APB. Is there anything I can do for you? Two things, actually. Uh, Do you know of a good security company? SOF Security, best in the state. I'm going to have someone here in about half an hour. Excellent. And the second thing. Oh, yeah. Did you bring my bag? The 400-pound duffel. That's the one. Did you look inside? I did not. She suddenly regretted not taking the opportunity to hold one of his shirts against her skin. It's got about 30 copies of my new book and and a smaller bag with a change of clothes. I'm really enjoying the gown, but a clean pair of underwear would be really nice. I can bring that to you. Part of her wondered if he would need any help getting dressed. The other part wondered if she should volunteer. Feel free to open it up and take a copy. Really? It doesn't go on sale for a few more days, but as long as you don't blog about it. Do you have a blog? I don't even have an email address, except for the one at work. No shit. I've got books and magazines and and a telephone number. You sound like my kind of woman, Officer Silva. I wonder what you're like when you're not carrying a badge. The Joni part of her squealed. You are listening to Dirty Little Podcast. This week's episode was brought to you by Just What You Need, book one in the Manifold series. Ian Blackwell doesn't play by the rules. Raven Santiago knows nothing but. But thrust together on tour, and they'll discover each other's dirty little secrets. There's a link to the audiobook in the notes of this episode. Just What You Need, written by S.A. Price. And now... Part two, it happened on accident. Sam Riggs had no idea what the fuck just happened. The doctor had informed him there was no sign of concussion, which meant it wasn't the crash making him weak in the knees. 
Officer Joni Silva had hit him like a thunderbolt. He couldn't believe his first words to her, were condescending, snapping at her for poor grammar. When she shot right back and then stepped into his view, the ringing in his ears became a choir of angels. It wasn't just beauty that struck him, though he was pretty sure he could spend an eternity swimming in those deep brown eyes of hers. It was the force of her character, the command in her voice, the playful control of her posture, and honestly, her uniform. He had never experienced a fetish before, but suddenly she was on top of him, cuffing his hands to a bedpost, ripping his clothing off with her teeth, drawing her nightstick slowly from her belt and shoving it under his chin, choking him as she eased herself onto his cock. Then, the dull thudding of her sidearm against her naked thigh as she rode them both to oblivion. All that in the split second when she asked to see his badge. How about that? She was funny, too. It embarrassed him a little, fainting at the sight of his own blood, but when she caught him and held her body up against his, he felt like a southern belle being swept off her feet and taken up a grand staircase to who knows what happens behind closed doors. Love at first sight, he mused on the drive to the hospital. He would never write anything so hokey. It had to be the crash. It had to be. But he couldn't stop smelling her breath. Old peppermint from chewing gum that had lost its sugar. Pine from an air freshener and something musty, like old books. As the nurses began cleaning him up, he closed his eyes and couldn't help but imagine the officer slowly unbuttoning his shirt, bathing his head and chest with a warm sponge. He didn't even know her name, and he had to shiver himself back into reality to keep the moment from becoming extremely awkward. The doctor came in, giving him a quick look, using a pen light to check his pupils, then pulled a little bottle out of a drawer and painted some goo over his cot. It smelled like nail polish. That should heal nicely, the doctor said. Doc, did you just put crazy glue on my forehead? Pretty much. I mean, it's medical crazy glue, but it's better than staples for keeping out infection and won't tear like stitches can. You probably won't even see a scar unless you get a suntan, which I don't recommend because the sun will kill you. Other than that, you don't have a concussion. I'd say hang here for an hour or two, let the shock wear off a bit, and if there aren't any complications, you won't be needing me at all. Take a couple of extra strength ibuprofens before you go to bed tonight and expect a little stiffness in the morning. Do you have any other questions? I don't. Well, when you feel ready, get up and move about. Check your range of motion. Let a nurse know if you feel anything weird. Other than that, have a good day. The doctor stood and swept out of the room. Sam got up from the hospital bed slowly. His body did feel a little stiff, but there was that lingering smell of nail polish, and he went across the room to open a window. He had not been standing long, breathing fresh air, when she walked in. My goodness, he thought as he turned to her. His heart skipped a beat, and he would have blamed it on the drugs, but the doctor hadn't given him any. The attraction was fairy tale. He had never seen anyone look serious and perky at the same time. He was a good eight inches taller than her, and probably outweighed her by sixty pounds, and yet he felt like she could throw him around like a rag doll. He suddenly felt very naked under the thin hospital gown. Hey, officer, he said, trying to gain some composure. It's Joni. He couldn't quite hear her. What is? My name, it's Joni. Did she just introduce herself with her first name? He didn't think officers of the law had first names. But maybe Joni was her last name. You want me to call you Officer Joni? No. Wait, sorry. You can call me Officer Silva. Okay. Sorry, I'm just a little bit flustered. You and me both, Officer Silva. She sat down and began asking him questions about the incident. He kept his voice as steady as he possibly could while treading water in those big brown eyes of hers. When she grilled him about having had sex with his would-be assassin, he felt embarrassed but 
not guilty, and there was something freeing about discussing the interlude with her. Being frank and sincere and letting her know that, yes, he was a sexual creature and can talk about it like an adult. He'd felt so comfortable that he'd used her first name by accident. She didn't seem to notice. When she was ready to wrap up, he asked her about the bag he left in the rental car. The 400-pound duffel. That's the one. Did you open it? He couldn't believe that they were talking about a dangerous stalker, and somehow the thought of Officer Silva violating his privacy turned him on. He offered to give her a copy of his new novel, and then she said something that threw him for a loop. She didn't have an email account. That was crazy. He himself had often thought about cutting the internet from his life, and he couldn't believe he had met someone with the fortitude to do it. He suddenly had a vision of the two of them in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere, reading poetry to one another as the rain lightly pitter-pattered against the window, the phone off the hook. Nothing but the two of them together. You sound like my kind of woman, Officer Silva. I wonder what you're like when you're not carrying a badge. He couldn't believe he had just said the quiet part out loud. What a jackass. He was sure his not-so-subtle flirtation would piss her off, and he'd lose her. But she smiled, and he may or may not have been imagining it, but she blushed as well. I'm gonna get your bag and let you put some clothes on first. She turned and laughed, and Sam sat down and shook his head. It was probably just his imagination. Chemistry was for movie stars and pulpy romance novels. Yet, he just couldn't quite shake the feeling like he'd been struck by Cupid's arrow. It was that supernatural. He didn't believe in gods or monsters, but this wasn't the first time he had felt the universe tugging on him. Happened all the time while he was sitting in front of his typewriter staring at a blank page. All it took was that first tentative step, and an amazing story would practically appear in front of him. A first tentative step. Oh my God, Joni thought. He was flirting with me. He was actually flirting with me. She stood in the parking lot, eyeing her reflection in the window of her patrol car. She reached up and removed the tie from her hair, letting it fall loosely to her shoulders. She gave it a little flip with her head, pursed her lips, and winked at herself. Absolutely fucking not, she said, as she put her hair back up and transformed back into cop face. At least, absolutely not fucking yet, she thought. She grabbed the 400-ton duffel bag from the back seat and dragged it through the hospital. When she got to his room, she plopped the bag at his feet. Here you go, she said. I'll contact SOF security. You should be fine for a while. Wait, he said, and she could feel his hand lightly gripping her arm. Touching a cop in any form is quite the no-no, and her reaction should have been to grab her nightstick and teach him to keep his distance with a quick jab to the sternum. But all she could think was, grip me harder, big boy, and pull me close. Then she froze, and he must have realized how close he had gotten to a broken rib and let go of her immediately. Mr. Riggs? I'm so sorry, I just didn't want you to leave without a copy of the book. Oh. I'll even... I'll even sign it for you. I mean, if you like. I would like. Thank you. He kneeled down in front of her and began to unzip the duffel bag. She peered down to see what the cover of the new novel looked like, but instead, there was a flashing vision of her naked, grabbing the back of his head and forcing his face into her pussy. Oh, she said softly, as she tried to gain control of her heartbeat. I'm sorry, he said, as he stood holding the new book. Oh, um, the cover, it's really good. Thank you. She reached out and took it out of his hands, lightly caressing his fingers as she did. She felt the weight of it and wondered how long it would take her to read. A night, maybe two.
Don't you want me to sign it? Oh, yeah, that'd be very nice of you, Mr. Riggs. He took the book from her and already had a sharpie in his hand. He turned to the title page. To Officer Joni, thank you for catching me. He scribbled his signature and added a postscript. And please, call me Sam. She read the inscription and frowned. Not while I'm in uniform. Well, then, we're just going to have to get you out of uniform. His eyes widened and he blushed. I'm so sorry. That came out all wrong. What I meant to say was I'm going to be in town for the next few days with not much to do, so uh, if I could possibly take you out to lunch or dinner, you know, as a thank you, I'd... That'd be great. I have to go back to the precinct. I'll be in touch. Okay, sure, yeah. You have my number. Officer Silva nodded and left the room. Her whole body was on fire. She felt giggly and barely in control of herself. She didn't believe in animal magnetism. Sure, there were pheromones and such, but she was a grown-ass woman and not some whimpering, simpering child again. However, she was bewitched, and he had asked her out on a date. She was going back to the police station. She was going to contact the security company. She was going to hand this case to her partner, Frank. Then she was going to go home and get into something more comfortable and much easier to remove. When she got to the station, she found Frank idle at his desk, staring at his computer screen. You're not supposed to be watching porn at work, Frank. She dropped the rigs file on his desk. I'm not. And what's this? Hit and run. Victim thinks it may be a woman who has been stalking him. I've already put out an APB for a woman, early 30s, about 5'4", 140 pounds, round face, red hair. Really? Two redheads in one day? When did I get so lucky? Oh, what do you mean? Frank turned his computer screen so she could see what he'd been looking at. Break in at Mercy Hospital. Redhead, dressed up as a nurse, began going into patient rooms looking for someone. The guard tried to grab her, but she punched him right in the dick and ran away. Did you say Mercy Hospital? Yeah, why? It's the closest hospital to the hit-and-run on Accident Street. I rerouted the ambulance to St. Jude's because I just happened to know that Mercy was full. We're probably looking for the same girl. So you want to take this one, or shall I? My day's done, so you're on redhead duty. Take a screenshot of the fake nurse and walk it over to Sam Riggs for identification. If it's positive, have SOF security take Mr. Riggs to the safe house on Ocean Bluff. I don't want him going to places she might be expecting him. You sure you don't want this one? Sounds pretty sexy. Yeah, Frank. She's all yours. I'm going to go home and read a book. Suit yourself. Officer Joni Silva had every intention of going home and diving into Samuel Riggs' new novel. But instead, an hour later, she was standing at a grocery store checkout line with a baguette, a bottle of wine, fresh pasta salad, and two slices of cheesecake. She was also wearing her favorite slinky black dress. You're listening to Dirty Little Podcast. If you've got a dirty little story of your own, we would love to read it out loud. Just go to dirtylittlepodcast.com and hit the submissions page. And if you like this show, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, part three, it happened on accident. What am I doing? She asked herself as she got into her car and started heading toward the safe house on Ocean Bluff. The security detail recognized her and waved her through. She walked up to the door and knocked. Samuel Riggs stood in the doorway, dressed in a pair of black slacks and an ivory French-cut shirt, the top button open slightly. He looked dashing, even with the tiny cut on his forehead. 
She wanted so badly to reach up and rip that shirt open, flinging buttons to the far corners of the room. Were you expecting someone? She asked. Hoping, more like. You're out of uniform, Officer Silva. It's in the trunk of my car. I can go get it if it'll make you feel more comfortable. No, this is good too. But does it mean you'll start calling me Sam? Only if you start calling me Joni. It's a deal, Joni. What have you got there? He said, motioning to the bag of groceries in her arm. I thought you might be hungry. Indeed I am, he said. He opened the door wider and she walked into the space. She had been here before while interviewing a high-profile witness, but it had been redecorated since. The rustic, oak-stained furniture had been changed to something more modern, but still comfy. Large couch with soft, plushy pillows, a chaise lounge by the window overlooking the ocean. She realized she'd forgotten to bring his book. Not that she was expecting to stay long enough to read, but the lounge was inviting. I'm just going to put this stuff in the fridge, she said. Yeah. She went in the kitchen. The appliances had all been upgraded, but the large wood slab island had been saved. She wondered briefly what it would feel like to be bent over that wood slab and fucked with abandon, her fingernails digging into the oak, the sound of their screams mingling with the crashing of the waves outside. She started placing the groceries in the fridge, and when she turned around, Sam was leaning on the island, testing its weight, looking at her with a mix of desire and curiosity. Why was she here, she thought. What could she possibly expect from this stranger? Listen, I gotta come clean about something, she said. You feel it too, don't you? Officer Joni Silva shivered. I'm sorry. Feel what? You know what I'm talking about. I can see it on your face. From the moment we first touched, there's been something electric between us. You fainted the first time we touched. Okay. So from the moment I saw you then, I just can't seem to get you out of my mind, and none of those thoughts result in coming cleanly. Oh, well, you did get hit pretty hard on the noggin there, Sam. I'll give you that. But you've been biting your lip this whole time, and don't think I didn't notice where your eyes kept going when I was in my hospital gown. A big part of my job is uncovering human motivations. It's a major part of my job too, big guy. So maybe you got hit in the head and suddenly discovered that you got a thing for girls with nightsticks. And I met my favorite author and have always had a thing for strong shoulders. So what now? He moved toward her and she stayed perfectly upright, almost defiant until she could once again smell that musky scent of expensive cologne and old books. She had the feeling she could melt right into him. So what now? It depends, he said. You can feed me dinner, or I could take you to bed. He leaned down and gave her a soft kiss on the lips. Is this the part, she said, pulling away gently. What? Is this the part where you tell me you're about to go on a book tour and that it's a bad time to start a new relationship? What? No... No, no. I'm not going to lie. I am trying to seduce you, but I'm also wanting to see what you look like in the morning and the day after that. I especially can't wait to strip off your uniform after a long, hard day at work. Do you believe in love at first sight? I don't, she replied. But if you're planning on seducing me, Mr. Riggs, I'll allow it. Copy that, Officer Joni. Copy that. This time, he leaned into her, fully kissing her. 
Her senses were overwhelmed, but singularly heightened as she felt one of his hands reaching down to cup the curve of her ass and the other feeling around between her shoulders, looking for a zipper to her slinky black dress. There wasn't one. It came off in one piece. She let him figure that out. His hands slid up her, fingers curling into her hair, deepening the kiss. Through the soft silk of his slacks, she could feel the swell of him hardening, barely contained. She reached down and undid the buttons to let the thing out. He moaned into her mouth as she cupped him in her hand, his erection bouncing with anticipation. He began kissing down her neck, the hand that was on her ass reaching down further, grabbing the bottom hem of her dress and sliding it up over her hips. His hands then slid forward and dipped between her skin and her panties, and she felt one finger begin to caress her clit. It was her turn to moan this time as two fingers slid gently inside of her, testing and teasing. He started working in rhythm, a rhythm she copied as she slowly stroked his cock. She was very near the edge of orgasm, but she wanted to drag this feeling out as long as she could, so she reached down and pulled his hand away from her. Is it getting hot in here, she asked, as she let go of him and began undoing the buttons on his shirt. Because I feel like we're overdressed. He didn't answer, but reached again for the hem of her dress and pulled it up and over her head. She liked it that he laid it gently on a kitchen stool rather than dropping it to the floor. She did the same with his shirt and pants. What do you think, he asked. Countertop or rickety old bed? Bed first, she answered. Countertop second. Good choice. We were going to have to go there first anyway. Why? Protection. As much as she wanted to feel skin on skin, something told her that there'd be time enough for that later, and she was already so wet she didn't think it would matter much. She reached both arms around his neck and jumped on top of him the way she had first imagined, her legs squeezing his torso, his hands holding her thighs, her ass practically resting on his cock. He took her to bed. They started slow at first, the rickety bed growing with each long, laborious stroke. Eventually, he found the right spot and she grabbed onto his ass, encouraging him to quicken the pace. She could feel that he was holding back, but she desperately wanted to hear him let go, assured that his groan of climax was just the thing she needed to put her own self over the edge. He screamed her name, just like she had imagined, his breath on her neck, the weight of his chest holding her down, the pounding of his cock, the only thing drowning out her own screams— was the sound of the bed frame coming apart. They collapsed in one another's arms, heavy and out of breath. When the world stopped spinning, he kissed the side of her neck, his stubble tickling her cheek. I'm looking forward to round two, she said. How about you do me a little favor then, he whispered. And what would that be, Sam? How about you, uh, put that uniform on, Officer Joni? Copy that, Mr. Riggs. Copy that. Sam Riggs woke up to the sound of rain pitter-pattering at the window beside the bed. The space beside him was empty, but still warm. She couldn't have gone far, he thought. He got up and shook himself awake, the latent feel of her fingertips still tingling the surface of his skin, the taste of peppermint still lingering in his mouth. He put on a pair of jogging shorts and a t-shirt and walked into the living room. She was lying on the chaise lounge, wearing nothing but his ivory button-down, his new book in her lap, and looked up. Good morning, she said. 
It's better than I imagined, he said. Last night? No, right now. She smiled at him, and he realized there was still quite a bit of lust that hadn't burned off the night before. He wasn't quite as needy, but he was certainly going to go over to her, sit down, and kiss the side of her thigh and hope for the best. There's pasta salad and a piece of cheesecake for breakfast. That's right, we never did get to dinner. No, we did not, she said. The phone rang. It was one of those jarring tones from an old landline. He picked up the receiver quickly before it could ring again. Good morning, this is Sam. Mr. Riggs. Uh, yeah, who's this? This is Officer Frank Myers. Can I speak with Officer Silva, please? Sam narrowed his eyes and looked at the receiver, then looked over at Joni, who was beautifully backlit by the ocean view and the droplets of rain on the window behind her. She looked peaceful and perfect, and he remembered that she didn't have a cell phone, which was also peaceful and perfect. Honey, he said after covering up the receiver. She looked up from the book, tickled at the term of endearment. Yes, dear, she replied. It's for you. He held up the receiver and shook it. She got up, looking surprised, and took it from his hand, biting his chin before he could get away. He wasn't sure how long the call was going to take, and he felt slightly awkward listening to a one-sided conversation that probably had a lot to do with his case. He walked out onto the deck, a view of the Pacific, waves crashing against the rocks, the screeches from gulls off in the distance. Admiring the view, he had lost track of time and realized he was getting cold when he heard her footsteps behind him. He turned. Joni reached out and touched his chest. Her hand was remarkably warm, and he realized she was still dressed in nothing but his French-cut shirt. Can you come inside? It's a little cold. Yeah. She led him back indoors and had him sit on the chaise while she pulled up a chair. Her somber face told him that something was really wrong. Did they catch her? Yes and no. A traffic cop pulled her over, responding to the APB. She jumped out of the truck and brandished a weapon. There were words said, but I'm sorry, Sam. She was shot and killed. I don't know what you have to be sorry for. Just the situation, I guess. Her gun wasn't loaded. Suicide by Cobb. That's what we call it when someone threatens an officer into shooting them. How's the officer? He asked, not knowing what to say. Shook, but we have people who specialize in this kind of event. The officer will be okay. He reached out to her, the touch of her hand reassuring, but not quite enough. He pulled her onto his lap, buried his face in her neck, and started to cry. She held him until he was finished. It's not the way I would have written it. You don't write tragedies. Still, he said, it's not the way I would have written it. How would you have written it? Honestly, probably something with a big dramatic final scene. She gets captured and then gets the help she needs. Then there's this great little epilogue. The two of us, out in the middle of nowhere, reading each other poetry and delighting in lazy noontime sacks. I don't know. The second part sounds like my kind of story. Won't be a bestseller, though. Well, what if it happens on Mars? She laughed. He thought about all the times he had said that true love was making each other laugh and finding each other reasonably fuckable. It was one of his favorite lines. And now he sort of knew it to be true. Anything we do now, he asked. No, 
There'll be a report. A lawyer might want to interview you, but that's it. But we do have this place until tomorrow afternoon. If you want to get a head start on some of that lazy midday sex. Now it was his turn to laugh. We're going to need more pasta and cheesecake, he said finally. I'm starving. The next two days were quiet and a bit of a blur. There was a lot of more midday cuddling than midday sex. Mostly, they sat on the couch together, tickling each other's feet and waiting for the other person to get up so they could order a plate of snacks. He did his lecture at the college, she in the first row, and then he continued on with the book tour. Instead of texting her, he wrote postcards for short messages and long love letters on hotel stationery. He called her each night just to hear her voice. Six months later, he had bought the Oceanside House from the county, along with a sizable donation to the officer's relief fund. Joni moved in a month after that. The only thing they changed was the rickety old bed. No television, no internet, no influence from the outside world when they weren't at work. Just books and games and long walks, correcting each other's grammar and casual consensual sex. It was the quiet fantasy they had both always dreamed of. His family came over for the holidays, and they were absolutely smitten with Officer Silva. His sister gushed. You two are perfect for each other, she said. You have to tell me, how did you meet? Sam looked over at Joni from across the table. She blushed, and he smiled. Well, sis, I guess you could say it happened on accident. This has been It Happened on Accident, written by Stacy Gold and narrated by Joshua McRae. Copyright 2019 by Dirty Little Podcast. If you like this episode, own it, share it with your friends, find us on Facebook or Twitter, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you, as always. Have a wonderfully dirty little day.